that's how it kind of started. And then as the market changed, we had to get a little bit more creative. Before we get into today's episode, I want to remind you that Blue Spruce Capital is lending on one to four unit fix and flips in multiple states. Contact Blue Spruce Capital by going to the show notes. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and today we've got someone from Shanghai, China. It's Lauren Cranford. How are you, Lauren? I'm great. Thanks, Adam. How are you? I'm fantastic. And I think Laura is, Lauren is cringing right now because I said Shanghai, but she says the locals say Shanghai, even though it's pronounced with the A. Uh, Lauren, <laughs> she invests in Lubbock, Texas. She's got about 27 units between single families and a few duplexes. She started investing in Lubbock 18 months ago from another country, which is just amazing. She's invested passively in a friend of mine's deal. Um, and then just last month, they're really trying to scale this business up. So they bought 19 more units. So a lot of good stuff. Lauren, the first question I have for you is think back to December of 2016. What made you start investing in real estate? So we, my husband and I have been together since we were 21. And I would like to be able to tell you that in our 20s, we um, thought about our future and started acting on it back then. But unfortunately, probably like many of your listeners out there, we, um, we did think about our future, but it wasn't until our 30s that we really sat down and put a plan and action items to those goals that we had and started to take action. So once we realized that real estate was the avenue that we wanted to take to reach our goals. We did a ton of self-education um, and then we just fast-tracked it and we tried to network as much as we could, find out all that we could from people that were doing what we wanted to do. And that's what got us to finally um, building our business plan. And from day one, we did treat it like a business. And so we sent out that business plan to our inner circle of people. And from there, we had deals being brought to us. And that's how our first deal in December of 2016 came about. And since then, we really haven't looked back. All right. So there's a few things that you need in order to do some deals, but since you're in a whole different country, and just for the audience, it's 10 a.m. right now for me, but it's midnight for Lauren. So, Lauren, <laughs> thank you for staying up so late so that we could get this done. I My pleasure. Really, really, I appreciate it. It's, it's our pleasure to have you. So, there's a thank few you. things that you need to get a deal done. Number one that you absolutely need is a team, but how did you do that from far away? So, we both my husband and I went to Texas Tech University in Lubbock and we have some long-standing relationships there that have flourished throughout the years and we um, you know part of our inner circle of who we sent out the business plan to was our CPA who happens to be in Lubbock who happens to have family members also in the business um, we, a long time uh, banker relationship, uh, who is now today our property manager. 
And so once we decided, there was two reasons that we chose Lubbock. One was because we had a handful of uh, long trusting, strong relationships there who were in the know for the business. And then it worked out in our favor that market, that Lubbock was a great market for what we were looking for and it met our criteria. So um, we started with those relationships that we already had and just grew on those. And then through those relationships, they were able to introduce us to other team members. And each time that we visit the US, we make a point to fly up to Lubbock and um, just continue those relationships and network and so that they can put a face um, to our name and that we're not just some random couple across the world. <laughs> there you go. All right. So I've got a few questions. So tell us again, just, just kind of walk me through what does that team look like? The team that's boots on the ground, what does it look like? Who do you have in place? So we have our kind of, go-to guy is our property manager and we have such a great relationship with him so much trust him and his wife uh, own investment properties themselves which i think is a huge bonus because he understands the business and he gets it and he uh, looks at our investments not just from a property management standpoint but from an investor standpoint and so he um I would say is our number one. And through him, we have a couple agents, brokers that uh, bring us deals. And then we have two really, really strong banking relationships there that we talk to very often. And, and then of course our CPA who is beyond just our CPA. Um, and yeah, so that's pretty much the, the key people. I, I love that you pretty well started my next few questions. So I'll go here. Um, how do you find deals from another country? <laughs> so we find deals. I'm looking on, so let's back up to 2016 when we first started looking. It was already a different market back then than what it is today. And we were seen a lot more on market deals. So um, I was on the internet, on MLS, I search almost on a daily basis myself. Um, and, and so I would send, you know, any deal that, well, one nice thing about being in the future from you guys is that we get the automatic emails from MLS before you guys wake up. So I already had my list, you know, sent to our brokers by the time they woke up and they were able to jump on those really fast and be the first, first offer in the door. So um, that's how it kind of started. And then as the market changed, we had to get a little bit more creative and really word of mouth, you know, our team would get out there and let other brokers know, um, wholesalers, and know that they had an investor that was looking for a specific thing. Um, but most of our deals flew, came through um, our brokers, except this last deal that we just closed last month was a 19-door deal that came to us, and that was an off-market deal. 
that came through our property manager who had a client has a client who had 90 plus properties and was looking to sell either the whole thing or what we found out he was willing to break it up. And so our property manager came to us and said, Hey guys, I know that your goals are to um, scale. How does this sound? And we jumped on it and um, that's where we got that deal. So, okay. So I have tons of uh, other questions already queued up, but I want to talk about this 19 unit real fast because yes. it sounds like your goal is to scale up and it sounds like the seller was willing to sell 90 plus units. What made you have the decision to buy 19 of them? So in the very beginning, we were entertaining the idea of buying the whole portfolio. And with that, we, we couldn't do it on our own. So that was going to involve bringing in other people, which we were at the point in our journey and in our mindset to where we were just starting to get comfortable with the idea of using other people's money and setting up a partnership in that manner and that size. And so that's the route that we took in the beginning, but due to time constraints and um, probably a little bit of our comfort level, we decided to go about it on our own. And so that's how we ended up being able to scale it down once we found out he was willing to break it up. And uh, we kind of got to cherry pick the top performers and, um, and it, within our range that we could afford at the time, as well as that were high performing properties. Okay. Okay. And we've, we've, I do have several questions queued up, uh, all really good information that we're going to grab from you today. I think we're going to learn a ton. So here we go. And we don't have a whole bunch of time, but let's get through this. Um, <laughs> how do you inspect these properties? Not living there. How do you go and look at these or have someone do it for you that you trust? So we have a huge, huge trust in our property manager. And the plus side for this deal and what made us comfortable was that he took over these properties at the end of last year and was helping this owner um, basically get a hold of, of his portfolio. He, he grew really fast and was managing them himself and kind of got himself into trouble. And so because our manager knew these properties really well, um, we just put a lot of our trust and we know the areas really well in Lubbock. Um, but having managed these for nine months, he knew them kind of like the back of his hand. So he was able to tell us, you know, Hey guys, for a quick example, one of the top performers on paper number wise, once we, once we got through the list of the ones we wanted, we went back to him and said, okay, are any of these ones that even though they look good on paper, you know that we wouldn't want based on our criteria and you know what we like. And sure enough, there was one that he said, it was one of the top performers, but he said, eh, scratch that one and let's replace it with this one that um, the, the return was lower, but the dollar amount per month was minimal difference. So. All right. I love it. All right. So here's the next question. Once you get a deal, you, you found it, you had somebody find it for you, you had somebody inspect it and it's time to get ready to close it. How do you fund these deals? You said that you weren't bringing in partners. So 
let's just talk about me. Uh, talk about this with me. How did you find money to buy 19 houses all at one time? So for to back up our first uh, handful of houses prior to this portfolio, we were doing traditional financing in our own name and putting up the uh, down payment ourselves. And with this portfolio deal, we had almost enough for the 20% down payment. Um, we were short a little bit and we ended up getting a personal loan. And um, so that's how we got it done with the cash. And like I said, one of our banking relationships, they were able to do, they offered a product called a swap loan, which was new to us. But um, we got a 10 year fixed rate on a 20 year amortization schedule. So it was a pretty sweet deal. And my husband laughs because it was far, far, far easier from the financing perspective to get this loan compared to the first few deals with traditional financing. And I think that's because one, the relationship with the bank, two, it's an in-house loan. So they're able to be a lot more flexible when you're not dealing with Fannie okay. Mae and all that. Let me, let me back up on what you mentioned on the terms of the loan. I, I believe you said it's a 10-year fixed? Correct. So that means that the interest rate is fixed for the first 10 years. And then Correct. you said it's a 20-year amortized? Correct. Okay. So off of just first thought, when I'm looking at a property, a house, some portfolios where you put 80% of the money is from the bank, with a 20%, I think cash flowing might be difficult. So could you um, answer the question for us? What does the cash flow look like because you have a 20-year amp? Sure. So the cash flow, do you want like a dollar amount or? Yeah. I mean, maybe just how much is e are each of these houses? So what is the, the loan balance of each of these houses? And on a 20-year AM with whatever interest rate, how much are the payments? And then what, are, what is coming in in order to cover it with cash flow? Sure. So the loan amount is a little over $1 million. And the rental income per month is right under 18000 And the mortgage payment is about 7700 a month. And so that leaves us with a little under 3000 if I'm not mistaken, for the monthly cash flow. Okay, so with the 10000 extra that you have, uh, a little less than seven of it is going to other... Uh, things like capex and uh, property management ma maintenance, things like that. So you're cash flowing about three grand off of everything. Is that right? That's right, and that's actually with um, vacancy included in there and all of the expenses. So taxes, insurance, management fee, cleaning, maintenance, all of the expenses. Uh, so that the three thousand is a net. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so talk to us about this, just on your mindset of what you're going to do when. Because it almost sounds like, and I don't want to put words into your mouth or anything like that, but it almost <laughs> sounds like I'm getting the feeling that your main goal is to pay these houses off, of, off quickly so that you can have them all just paid off and be taking all this extra amount once they are paid off. I, I say that because 
my first my first thought would be to try to see if I could find a way to do a 30-year AM or even a 40-year amortized loan if possible so that I have more cash flow now. So if you could kind of just speak to your mindset of what made you decide to do the 20-year AM, um, was it what the bank was making you do or is this something that is helping you and your husband to get to the next level? Sure. So you're right in saying that our, our big goal is to reach a certain dollar amount of monthly cash flow in order to give us the freedom to choose the way that we spend our time. <laughs> and so um, in doing that, a shorter term is always going to help if it's still cash flowing. But also, you also hit on the other point is based on the shopping around that we did and we shopped at a few different banks, the term, the 20 year term was really the best that we found, um, uh, in the, in the swap product, we just, we felt good about the 10 year fixed rate. Some of the other ones that might've had a little bit higher term, longer term, um, did not have a 10 year fixed rate. So we chose to go the route of a longer time period for the fixed interest rate. All right. Love it. Okay. So I've got a couple more. Here it goes. Uh, sure. You're managing rentals from far away. What does that look like? It looks like a lot of communication. <laughs> um, and, you know, like, like they say, it's the relationship business. So in fact, literally while, while right before we started this call, I was hanging up with our property manager and we are texting and um, having calls very, very often. And so, you know, even though he's, they, his group is amazing. We have full trust in them. We're on the same page. I think it's important to always remember that to still manage your manager, if that makes sense. And that's not to say to micromanage, but just to, when you get, you know, this many properties to know what's going on and to really treat it like a business. I think that's really important. Great. Thank you. How about when something happens at the properties where you need to do a little bit of rehab, maybe ten tenant turnover or, or maybe a roof needs to be replaced. How does that look and who manages the uh, construction for you? So our property managers handle all of that and they have a team of kind of go-to trades that they trust and they have great relationships with. And so their pricing is always very competitive. For bigger ticket items, for example, we just replaced an HVAC unit on one of our first houses that we bought, which we were expecting. Uh, the tenant just moved out. So we just got that replaced. And since it was a big ticket item, then he'll price it out to two, three different contractors just to you know, keep everybody honest and competitive. And so, um, but for the smaller stuff, he just calls and goes to his go-to people because he trusts them and knows that they'll get it done right. I love it. And for so many listeners that might live in California and are thinking about maybe getting rentals in Texas or Ohio or whatever, this is really uh, beneficial. This whole conversation, just the mindset that you have to be able to manage from a completely other country, completely other time zone mm -hmm. is, um, is really inspiring. And, and I hope that, that the listeners are getting that too, if, if they might live here in Colorado and they want to 
manage some property in, in another state. I think we're learning quite a bit. The next question that, that comes to my mind for you is all about taxes and what taxes look like since, since not only are you a passive investor in all these things, um, you, know, you, you own these rentals, which the income is taxed a little bit differently, but you're in another country. So uh, for the listeners who are curious about that as well, can you kind of tell us what that might look like with you and your CPA and, and uh, this type of income because you're in Shanghai? So really there is no difference when it comes to the, to our rental business. Um, for my, my husband's day job, then yes, there's all types of tax things that honestly I don't know or care to know, <laughs> but, um, for his salary. But as far as the, our investments go, it's really no different than if we were living in Texas or in the U S. Okay. So. Another question, just out of curiosity, what is your primary residence? Are you claiming Shanghai? Yes. Okay. All right. Very, very, very cool. So a question that I've been thinking about is what happens when something really goes wrong in your portfolio? Do you have any story of something that has happened and how you kind of had to think outside the box to make sure to correct or solve a problem? Yikes. We knock on wood, but we have not had any major, major problems or major issues. And with this big portfolio that we just bought, it was a hundred percent leased whenever we took it over. And so I think that we haven't had any emergency type situations, but I think something that, you know, I'm working on right now is just you know, coming up with the best plan for maximizing the rents and as the tenants turn over, you know, creating a type of construction schedule, if you will, to figure out timing for the expenses and our kind of, as we take over a house, when we were doing one at a time, we would, if it was empty, we would go in and do, you know, new flooring, paint, put some money into it to make it look good and then rent it out. And then if it was leased when we purchased it, we would wait till they, till it turned over to do that. So with these that are all leased, we, you know, just looking at the uh, rent roll to figure out when the expiration dates are and what that all looks like for us. So it's quite a big project and our managers on it, but I'm also overseeing it just to make sure that we, truly kind of analyze the big picture and where we want to be because there is a lot of opportunity to bump up the rents, even for those that don't even need work. Um, they're just underperforming or the rent's a little bit lower than what they should be. So that's kind of probably the biggest project that I've had to take on since we started from here. Great. Thank you. So I've got a question. And it's why Lubbock, Texas. And uh, I know you already responded earlier that you have boots on the ground. You and your husband both went to uh, school in, this, in that city. Um, but is, my question is, is there something about that market that attracts you to the market? Something about the numbers, the population uh, that makes you want to be in Lubbock? Or is it just because it was an easy transition from across the world? No, the, the rental market there is good. And I think what attracts investors to there is the purchase price compared to the rental rates that you get. 
um, I think that's attractive compared to some of the other cities in Texas, at least. And so I think that's the biggest probably plus for Lubbock. And they just have a strong rental market that doesn't seem to fluctuate much based on the economy or anything like that. Back in the, uh, when the, in the crash in 08, they were hardly affected at all. And so compared to many other areas across the U.S., it's kind of a safe haven, I guess, if you will. So we just felt that we're pretty conservative people as far as investment goes. And we just felt, you know, besides the fact with the boots on the ground, we, and knowing the city, um, we just liked, we liked kind of the, the market and the industries that are there. And um, yeah, we just liked everything about it. Great. Okay. So I've got a couple, just two more questions already queued sure. up before we can get into these final five. But so my, my next one is, I'm a multifamily investor. And mm -hmm. I love multifamily because if I want 100 units, I just buy 100 units. And mm -hmm. I don't have to buy, you know, 19 houses and then another single and then find a duplex. And it seems like a lot of work to me. So that's, that's my argument on that. What would you say would be the reason why you're not doing multifamily? Is there, is there <laughs> something that you can say for the listeners that might be able to help them to understand your side of the uh, your view on why single families helped you sure i think for us going into it uh, it felt the most comfortable and attainable for us and i think that uh i'm i'm huge on mindset and i know we probably we don't have time for that today but i think um it's just what we chose to get started with and i think that we're like i said we're conservative and I think the biggest piece is probably the amount of control, maybe, because we're doing it ourselves, we're not having to dip into um, dealing with other investors, uh, where we can be as much in control or not as we want to be. Um, so I think that's probably the, the biggest factor for now and why, why we want to continue down this route. Um, but that's not to say, like like you said in the beginning intro, we have passively invested in a multifamily apartment deal in San Antonio, Texas. And so that's been great to kind of learn the ropes from that end as well. And really, when you get into these larger portfolios of single family homes, it's not too much different from, of course, there's the obvious differences. But when as far as analyzing the deals, um, setting up a, a syndication or whatnot, it's pretty similar. Okay, awesome. So that, that is a great segue to my last question, and that is partners. So yes. you said that you got the 19 units because it was perfect. You had the money in the bank to put down the down payment on your own. You didn't want to deal with partners. And then we talked about multifamily and said, one of the reasons why you, your mindset is here is because you like that you can do this alone. So I guess my question is, if you look just in the next two or three years on scaling your own portfolio in Lubbock, do you see yourself taking on any type of partners to help grow that a little bit faster or not? Absolutely, yes. But I will say that it took a little while to get there for us. Um, 
And I think it just comes with, you know, experience, knowledge, confidence. And, you know, if I look back two years ago compared to today and just the wealth of knowledge that we've gained throughout our journey and from others, it's, um, yeah, we're just at a place now where we're comfortable with that. And, you know, living overseas in, in the position that we're in, it's just been a huge opportunity with, you know, meeting all of our, our friends are from literally all over the world. And a, a lot of these people who are not Americans are very interested in investing in the U.S. And so, um, you know, I completely see in our future where we are putting together some type of partnerships and getting big deals done for sure. Great. Thanks for going through that. So we are it's now time for the final five. So we'll get right into that, but we do have some quick messages. Adam Adams has one of the most active meetup groups in the world. I've personally been to one of his meetups and Adam packed that house with over 80 investors at lunch and another 60 on the waiting list. Find out the exact six things he did to create one of the top meetups on the planet by texting the word meetup to 555-888. Text meetup to 555-888. All right, Lauren, what is the most creative deal that you've put together? So I'm going to go with our portfolio deal. And it's I feel like it was creative in the sense that we thought outside of the box for ways to get it done for what we were able and willing to do at that point in time, um, but still added value to the seller. And so once we learned that he was willing to break up the portfolio. Then we kind of analyzed our position in the deal and we really, we asked a lot of questions, you know, why is he selling, you know, tell us his story. What are, what are his goals? What are his needs? And so after learning those things, we were able to position ourselves. For example, you know, we asked for the basic due diligence of the financials and he didn't have any because he self-managed uh, his portfolio and luckily and why we felt comfortable with it was like I said before with our property manager having taken it over and you know we got the rent roll we knew what all the actuals were so we were able to build our own kind of pro forma and underwriting and really get a good look at the numbers and with that um, we were able to you know cherry pick the best performing uh, properties without the seller, uh, seeming to mind at all. And so, um, I think that that was creative in the sense that we kind of thought outside the box and just did a little bit deeper homework on our own to get the deal done, but it was still a fair price for the seller and he accomplished what he wanted to. And, and we got what we wanted as well. Fantastic. So there's five things that I noticed that you said, and I just want to bring them out. Uh, so number one is you thought outside the box to get this done. Number two is you kind of stretched your own comfort zone to what you had done before. Number three is you, instead of say, saying, well, we can't do this, um, you actually asked yourself, how can I? And I, I heard you say that. You said, how can I? And, um, and that's something that I talk about on the podcast all the time. The next one was you started to ask questions to the seller. So I hope that the listeners are really getting this um, is because you're not going to solve somebody's problems until you ask good questions. 
when you really understand where they're coming from, that's when you can create a win-win, which is the fifth thing that you said is we created a win-win with the seller. So I love it. Thank you for going over that. What's a book you recommend? We, our first book that we read that got us started, and I think it's just a good foundation book, is the Gary Keller book, The Millionaire Real Estate Investor. Um, for anybody that's looking to do what we did with the single family buy and hold strategy, the book by John Schwab, I think, it's called Building Wealth One House at a Time. And that one's just a really good kind of how-to, simple read. And to this day, I believe the author has never used his own money to purchase a home. So that's a good one. And right now I'm reading The 4-Hour Work Week by Timothy Ferris. And I'm about a third way through. It's a good one. Great. Where Think back five years ago. Uh, just tell us what that looked like for you. Where were you? What, what were you doing for work? What did that look like? Oh, geez. So five years ago... I was a stay, I had become a stay at home mom after I worked in commercial real estate for six years prior to that. But five years ago, I was a stay at home mom of a toddler, and we are the parents to a superstar micro preemie baby who weighed one pound 13 ounces at birth. And so the first couple of years were a wild ride. And so five years ago, I was at the point where I was, things were starting to settle, and I was really just enjoying motherhood. And, um, moving across the world to a different country was not on my radar at all, but it's been the most incredible experience of our lives. Um, we don't regret it for a second. And um, yeah, I wasn't thinking about any of this. That's for sure. <laughs> wow. Great. I'll, that's really incredible. And uh, you said one pound and how many ounces was your micro preemie? Pre he was one pound, 13 ounces. Holy cow. Not a, that's just, yes. that's crazy. And how, so he's around five now? He's seven now. Oh my gosh. He just well, turned seven. Yeah. Well done. That's awesome. Where will <laughs> you, you five years from today? What's in your future? So in five years from today, we will still be doing a real estate investing business in some fashion. We're passionate about it. We love it. We have fun. Uh, we love people. We're passionate about people. And just in our short time, um, th there comes so much fulfillment just from giving back from everything that we've learned and just sharing our journey like I'm doing now. And so that will for sure be a, a piece of our life and in five years, a big part of it. And our goal is to by then be at a point financially speaking to where our passive income will be enough for us to make the choice to spend our time the way that we want to spend it. And, um, and yeah, close to family and friends by then and back home in Texas. And yep, that's it. How do you give back? So I've, from the time I can remember, I've always been passionate about babies. So I, um, I'm always involved in some fashion. The latest here in Shanghai, I've been able, fortunate enough to volunteer at some local orphanages, which is an amazing experience. And um, as of lately, though, with our real estate journey, just being able to help uh, spend time and knowledge with our friends and family and even strangers um, to help them meet their uh, goals for themselves has been awesome. 
Awesome. Lot of lot of good info. So Lauren, thanks for taking your time after midnight. I know it's almost one o'clock in the morning your time now <laughs> that we're ending this. Um, talking about how you got started with your 27 single families so far in Lubbock, Texas, your journey of where you started, where, where you're going to go, what partnership means to you, the teams that you've already built with your pro, uh, um, let's see, what kind of manager, your property manager, I was going to say project manager, yeah. your property manager, the agents, the, the banking relationships that you have, your CPA, going through quite a bit of details on, you know, how you manage all of these from so far away what happens if something goes wrong, you know, what your future looks like. And I believe that there's probably a lot of people listening that would want to um, reach out to you, chat with you, or even partner with you. So how do the listeners find you or get out a hold of you if they want to? Sure. I would love to hear from anyone. Our email is the best. And our email address is Cranford Properties LLC at gmail.com and Cranford is C-R-A-N-F is in Frank O-R-D. At gmail.com, right? Correct. All right. So for the listeners, um, if you didn't get that, don't worry. It's in the show notes, Cranford Properties LLC at gmail.com. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. I hope you get some sleep tonight. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye for now. If you love this content, please leave a review and share this podcast with your friends. As a reminder, any investment opportunities mentioned on this show are for accredited investors only. I'm ready to have that conversation with you. It's pretty easy to set up. There's a link to my online calendar available for you in the show notes. Scroll down now and pick a time on there that works best for both of us. Until next time, think outside the box.